Well, good morning again. Good to see you. And uh, my name is Josh. If you don't know me, uh, one of the pastors here. Again, welcome to all of you who are joining us online. Really glad that you're able to be with us today. And uh, in part because today's a pretty exciting day. Uh, today's a day where we get to launch into a, a new sermon series called Grounded. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this, this series with you together. And, uh, you know, there's just certain things in life we can kind of take for granted, you know? I mean, like just life in general. The air we breathe, gravity, the sun, you know, all those things, we, we just kind of, we take them for granted. And the, the same is true in our spiritual lives. There's things we know are there. There's things we know are true that we believe, those of you who are followers of Jesus. And yet at the same time, sometimes we can take those things for granted and we overlook them and we don't dive deep into them and we don't think deeply about them and let them penetrate our lives and the way we, we live our lives. And that's really where we're headed in this series called Grounded. Uh, you know, uh, we want to take a look at some of these essentials, to be challenged to go deeper in them, to, to think more deeply about them and to consistently live them, to invest our time, our thoughts and our energy and our emotion in knowing them and living them out. You know, like Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter three, verse 17, he, he said, uh, he wanted us and the church there to be rooted and grounded in God's love so that they would grow up into everything, so that we would grow up into all that God wants us to be. Sometimes we can think that growing in our faith just means adding this and this and this and this one. A lot of times really it just means putting down some roots in what we, we already know and what we sometimes take for granted and going deeper into those things. And so that's where we're headed. But uh, if you're... Uh, part of our church family, you've uh, got an email this week, you know uh, from the email I sent out in that little video that, that really this series is more than just about that sermon series that we're launching into. It's really an initiative for our church that's gonna take us into uh, the first half of 2022, into the summer. And uh, because just like there's essentials in life, like there's essentials in our spiritual life, there's, there's some essentials we can take for granted as it relates to, to ministry as a church. You know, like the, the facility God has blessed us with that we get to steward and care for. And uh, things like a parking lot. I wonder how often have you thought about the parking lot? I'm guessing not too many. I mean, has it shown up in your journal lately? Like if I could, go, like I could thumb through your journal, you're just like, oh, I love the parking lot. I like, can't wait to, I'm doubting it. But at the same time, you know when I bet you have thought about it is if you pulled in and it was a rainy, mucky day, and you were out in the boonies and trudging through the mud and you had your new shoes on or something like that or just everything was crumbling or it was crowded and so you couldn't maybe get the spot you wanted or, you know, we kind of take that for granted. Now, do you have to, have to, have to have a parking lot to be a church? No. But it sure does pave the way for people to more easily come and meet Jesus and experience and know him in our culture, doesn't it? And it's just part of maintaining our facility. And so by God's grace, um, in this, this spring, we're uh, tearing up and reconstructing and totally redoing and expanding our parking lot. Isn't that exciting? 
And uh, yeah, it is. And if you've been around for a while, you know, uh, last spring, our church membership voted uh, to move forward with that and just an incredible unity in May. It's like 96, 97%, something like that approval. I don't know about you, but like, uh, I can't get that kind of approval in my family, let alone like in, in our church. And so it's just, it's so encouraging to me as your pastor uh, to see that unity in, in something that's not very exciting right? It's just not. And so as, as we launch into this initiative, those of you where you call Wabasi Bible Home, and especially if, if you're a member, uh, you're going to have the opportunity uh, to, uh, to make a faith commitment toward that end, towards the financing of, of constructing that this spring. And uh, I'm excited to tell you more about that in the coming weeks, and even some commitments that have already been made that I think you'll be encouraged by, and uh, even some financial uh, news just in general of, of us being close to uh, being completely out of debt as we head into this project. And uh, we will be when we get there. It's exciting. God has been so generous to us and he has been so generous through you. I'm so grateful for you. So thanks for that encouragement. And uh, you need to know that it matters and it, it really does. But uh, let me just say this too. Um, you know, uh, that commitment that what we're gonna be doing, the cost of that parking lot, you ever had to put a new roof on your house? It's not fun, is it? Because it's like money you didn't really wanna spend, especially for a roof. Because like, who cares about the roof until you're getting wet, <laughs> then you care. But the, the cost of, of that parking lot, we told you last spring, is, is gonna push up towards uh, $500,000 potentially, which is, Woohoo! Are you excited about that? Yeah, I'm not either. I'm not either. Um, that's money I wish I'd rather not spend, but, but it opens the door and the opportunity for more people to know and experience Jesus' love for them. And so we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks, but um, we recognize it's a lot of cash, but it, it, it allows us to be grounded, pun intended, for the future for more people to meet Jesus. You know, and let me just say this too, uh, before we dive into God's word together. If, if you're new or even if you've been here a long time, you just need to know nobody is going to come after you and like twist your arm and try to manipulate you to give or like hunt you down. Um, I would just say this and our leadership would echo this. Uh, if, if you don't want to give, don't give. God loves a cheerful giver, right? And we're not gonna manipulate you towards that end. But I would also say this, that sometimes you begin to want the things that God wants for you in your life as you do them, even when you don't want to. Kind of like exercise. I don't really want to go to the gym, but if I keep going, then I'll start to want to and I'll reap those benefits, won't I? So it, it's up to you. Nobody's gonna twist your arm in that. And uh, it's on the internet now, so you can refer back to that. You heard me say it. It's true, but let me also say this. I, I'm not shy away though from saying I think it is something you ought to consider and from asking you to consider and pray about giving because I think it's worth it. And uh, one last piece before we dive into God's word. In addition to this project, uh, if God lead you to give, um, we're gonna be tithing off of that amount, actually more than a tithe, about 13 to 14% uh, to build a home for girls overseas uh, vulnerable girls, uh, children, it'll house about 70 of them. As you know, we've already done that for a group of boys, about 70 to 80 boys in that same area. And uh, you generously uh, fund uh, their livelihood, really. 
as they grow up and as they're grounded and in God's word. And it gives an opportunity for those girls to have that same experience. So just know, you'll hear more about that too in the coming weeks. And I uh, just wanna let you know all about that. So, hey, with that, let's pray. And we'll dive into God's word. We're gonna be in Isaiah chapter 40 today. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thanks for your great generosity to us that you so loved the world that you gave to us. You so loved us that you gave your son. And Jesus, that you uh, came, you put on flesh, you dwelt among us and um, you redeemed and rescued and are in the process of restoring us. Thanks for your grace. Holy Spirit, would you work in and through me as I teach your word today? Uh, teach me even as I teach and uh, might my words be your own. And might we all leave uh, encouraged to, to pursue you more, to love you more so that more people might love you. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and pray all this through him. Amen. So uh, last night, uh, I was sitting up and kind of thumbing through stuff for my message this morning, thinking it through, and uh, Charlie had just gone to bed, and we were sitting there watching TV. It was about 9, 9.30, somewhere in there. And I looked over at Hannah. She was on the couch, and you could tell she was about ready to cash out. And I said, uh, I feel like I, I need to do something different tomorrow, like a different message. Like the, the message originally for today was grounded in Christ and we we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter three and I just couldn't get it out of my head like for 20, 30 minutes and just kept going. I'm like, all right, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll start pursuing down this road and uh, really landed on this. And, and so it didn't just change the message for today, but it changes our series a little bit to where instead of just six weeks looking at some essentials that were to be grounded in and the way we live our Christian life, uh, just felt uh, the spirit impress on me that, um, hey, Josh, why don't you dig deep theologically, like in our statement of faith and talk about some of those things, teach into that, but not just to like puff everybody's head up, but teach into it and then explore, so what? <laughs> Who cares? How does that affect my life? And so what we're gonna do is uh, we've kind of changed gears. We're gonna take 10 weeks in this series and we're gonna unpack our statement of faith. And we're gonna be in a different passage of scripture each week as we do that alongside it. And so uh, we're launching into that today. Are you ready? All right, well, if you got your Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 40 today. And I don't know about you, but I love the Old Testament book of Isaiah. I especially love like chapter 40 through 43. And I just gotta tell you, God has used these chapters of the Old Testament and of uh, the prophet Isaiah in, in just powerful ways in my life to, to encourage me, to bring comfort to my life, to challenge me. And... Uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, we're going to start in verse 9, and at different places, you'll, you'll probably recognize some of these verses, but Isaiah, he writes this in verse 9, he says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. He's, he's talking when he says, O Zion, O Jerusalem, he's, he's really talking to his people, and he's saying, hey, uh, go up. And then do you notice what he calls his people? He calls them heralds of good news. You know, I think that applies to us too. We're to be heralds of good news of who God is. Uh, Paul picks it up in the New Testament, says we're ambassadors for Christ. Our mission statement, we are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. But friend, you're a herald of good news if you know the Lord Jesus, that's who you are. And uh, we'll dive into that in this series in the coming weeks, but I really wanna key in on the next part of this verse. He goes on and he says, um, 
Lift it up, lift up your voice, herald of good news, and fear not. This would have been important for uh, the Israelites in that time because they were under the oppression of a foreign enemy. And so uh, there was a lot of fear in their lives. I wonder, maybe that's a word for you today. Uh, maybe uh, some things are going on in your life and you're afraid and you're not sure about the future and fear not. And say to the cities of Judah, let's just read this with me. Behold your God. Behold your God. Behold, you know what the word behold means? It means look, pay attention, check this out. And God's telling his people, his heralds of good news, tell everybody, check out God, behold him. I wonder when was the last time you just beheld God? You just sat and thought about him, about who he is, about the truth of who he is and all of his character that, that you would behold your God. You know, um, sometimes there's things we know to be true about God and we think about him, we go, oh, I know he's loving, I know he cares, I know he's always there, but you know it, but do you know it? I mean, how have you experienced that and just dove into that to, to behold it and slow down? Behold your God. Think about what he's like, ponder his attributes. We're gonna do some of that even this morning. Well, let's keep reading uh, what the prophet writes. He says in verse 10, behold, behold again, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. You know, he just said, behold your God. And now he starts to tell us some things about God. Behold how he comes. He comes with might and power and his arm rules for him. Got some guns, right? You know, I read this passage and... Um, as I was thinking through this last night, I thought a lot about my dad. My dad was a big dude. Uh, he passed away uh, seven years ago or so now of uh, brain cancer, had a really aggressive brain cancer and it was pretty quick. Uh, but he was about uh, 6'4", 270, and all of it. <laughs> and uh, I can remember the day after he was diagnosed, he had his biopsy and he was diagnosed with uh, this really aggressive brain cancer. I can remember being at home and sitting on the couch with him. I went back to Iowa and uh, it was me on his left and on his right was my youngest brother. I have three younger brothers. And uh, we were all kind of in tears. And I just remember him having one big arm around me and one big arm around my youngest brother and his paws kind of squeezing us and drawing us in. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. I mean, I can feel it even to this day. And as a, at that time, a 36-year-old man and not exactly tiny myself, just felt myself almost kind of disappear in his embrace and his grasp of me. I've never forgotten that. I, I think about it often, if you want to know the truth. But God impressed on me and has for a long time. You know, Josh, I've got a strong arm. I've got you. And I love you more. And I'm with you. And I'll hold you. And I'm more tender to you than even your dad was. And I'm, I'm stronger and all of those things. And his arm. 
That's how Isaiah describes how God comes in power and in might. You know, and look how else he comes in that power with his arm. Behold, his, his reward is with him. I think that's his reward for his people, for those of us who've trusted him. Goodness and, and grace. He's, he's benevolent to us, right? If you were here last Sunday, uh, we had a, a, a friend, Pastor Craig was here and speaking of the benevolent Jesus and the good things he gives. But also look at his strength, not only in reward, but his recompense is with him and before him. If his reward is for his kids and for those he loves, his recompense is, is payback towards his enemies. He comes in power, the strong arm. But do you know, uh, when Isaiah talks about his strong arm, it's not just strength in terms of, of power and might. It's also strength in terms of tenderness. Keep reading, look at verse 11. He'll tend his flock, God will, like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom, close to his heart, and gently lead those that are with young. So God's strong arm is not just strong to save and to protect and to redeem and to mete out justice and all those things. It's strength to be tender and to love you that the God who, think about it, the God who spoke everything into existence and rules and reigns over everything and will mete out wrath for sin at the end of time, he cares about you and me. Every little detail of your life, every hurt, every joy, and he does it with tenderness and he draws you close to his heart. And if you've ever had an embrace like that, you know it's hard to get out of. Well, imagine God's embrace of you. You know, um, I mentioned we're gonna kind of work our way through our statement of faith together. And uh, we're part of uh, a group of churches called the Evangelical Free Church of America. If you're not familiar with it, EFCA, or you'll hear me say free church. And the free church, you, you might call it our denomination, uh, so to speak, but it's a little different maybe than a mainline denomination. We've been part of it for about 10 years now. And really the free church is just uh, a group of, of autonomous. That's what free means. Every church is free to govern itself, you know, how it sees fit in its context. And uh, autonomous, but interdependent, working with other churches of like mind. So other free churches, like, uh, like we do often with a church in, with Community Gospel in Bremen and, and some other churches, and, uh, but also with just churches who are of like mind who love Jesus, to be interdependent with them. We're all part of God's family, just kind of different Sunday schools in his church, so to speak, right? And uh, one of the things I, I just love about the, the free church is that interdependence. And what the free church is then is it's united around the same statement of faith. So while every free church is a little different, we all believe and hold to the same core things. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a pretty mainline traditional church where we would, almost every week actually, we would read like a creed, a statement of belief. You know, I believe like the, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth through whom all things were, you know, and we just would, would read this creed together, of a statement of belief. Well, our statement of faith is kind of a creed. And so I think as we go through this, it's good for us just to, to read it together. So uh, would you join me? Let's just, let's just read it out loud. I'm not gonna make you stand, but let's just read this together. We believe in one God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity, of three equally divine persons, 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. Uh, friends, that's uh, the statement of faith for, for kind of our family of churches with the free church. And a key distinctive I loved about the free church is one that we're united around these essentials. I mean, in essentials, there, there is unity in the free church, but in non-essentials, there's charity. It's kind of a two-handed theology. We've got some core things we hold on to. We've got some other things we might have convictions on, but at the end of the day, we hold them with an open hand because we know some people see them different. And so uh, when it comes down to these issues, these core things that go in the closed fist, at the end of the day, if I let go of those things, I, I'm really not being faithful to God's word. I'm not, potentially not a Christian. And so we're gonna swing that fist over those issues. Those are the things we fight over. But the other things that go in the open hand, we might have some pretty strong convictions, but at the end of the day, we'll, if we flip it over and drop them, we're gonna be okay. And we can let those things go. Because you know what, we might be wrong. And that's okay, but, but these core things. And so in, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, charity, but in all things, Jesus Christ. So hey, let's, let's go back through that statement of faith and just look at it in conjunction with Isaiah chapter 40 and begin to unpack it a little bit and, and just think deeply about it and then what it means for our life. Sound good? All right, so uh, first off, one of the things too that uh, our statement of faith follows what, what you would call a biblical theology so it follows the pattern of salvation in the Bible. So how does the Bible begin? If, if you don't even know your Bible, I bet you could answer this. The, I bet you would know the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He was there in the beginning. Uh, it all begins with God and not with us. So does our statement of faith. And friends, you know, we're talking about being grounded and and. and finding a firm foundation and, and rooting our lives in that. Look, if, if you don't get this initial truth, you're gonna be on shifting sand the rest of your life. In the beginning, God. The universe doesn't revolve around you or around me. It's, you know, sometimes in our sinfulness, we can think, oh, we can kind of invite God into our life and give him a nice little spot over here. But the truth of the matter is that God invited us into his story. He's at the center because he was there in the beginning and he'll be there in the end. He's eternal, we'll see this morning. You know, your very existence then, because God created all things, is grounded in God. Even if you don't believe in him, you, you were created by him. Your very existence is grounded in God. It is. Well, uh, Let's start to work our way through this statement of faith, these basic truths of who God is. First off, uh, we'd say he is one. He's one God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter six uh, refer, is referred to as the Shema, the first uh, handful of verses of Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. One, one God. And you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus even quotes that when he's asked, hey, hey, Jesus, some guys are like, hey, what's the most important command? And he's like, oh, it's easy. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He's one. 
But if you have a keen eye, we were reading through our statement of faith together and we said, uh, our God is one and he exists how? As a loving unity of three equally divine persons. Okay, hold on a second. One God, three persons, what are we talking about? Well, this is a biblical doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity is simply a shorthand way of explaining a massive amount of biblical truth. And uh, if you're expecting me to explain all of it to you today, sorry, that's not gonna happen. Because I don't totally understand it myself. I believe it. By God's grace, he's showing me more and more. But, you know, I'm kind of glad about that too. Would you want to worship a God that you totally and fully understood and could get your mind around? He wouldn't be much of a God, would he? Yet God has in his word revealed to us everything we do need to know about him. And his word indicates that he is Trinity and that we're to believe that and trust that and enjoy that. But all the intricacies of it, I'm just telling you, I don't totally understand. And it hurts my head too. But let's talk about a couple quick tenets of the Trinity Uh, as we work through, the basic tenets are are this, that one, God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I told you I was gonna make you think today, right? So think with me. Uh, Number two, each person, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are fully God, each one of them. And, And three, there's one God. One God, three persons. Now, uh, you may have a friend who uh, is Muslim or something like that, and they would, they would look at you and like, you don't worship one God, you worship three gods. And you can understand why they might think that, right? But the Bible indicates that there is one God manifest in three persons. And uh, there's been maybe some illustrations you've heard over time to help you explain this. And we see all three persons show up at the same time in scripture, like at Jesus' baptism or in Genesis 1, at the creation of the earth. And uh, let me give you a couple of those illustrations that are helpful, but they're not complete, okay? So when you think of God as Trinity, as the Father, and of Jesus the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, maybe you've heard the illustration of a water molecule. A water molecule can be both, it can be uh, in a gas state, it can be in a liquid state, or it can be in a solid state if it's frozen, right? Water vapor, water, or ice. And it's all the same water molecule, the same essence. But here's where that one falls apart. Because uh, God doesn't like shapeshift into one or the other. He's not like, uh, today I'm God the Father, and now I'm God the Son. You know, and then he transforms into God the Spirit. It doesn't work like that. Uh, He's all three at the same time. The Father and the Son and the Spirit. And I can see some of your minds going, whoa, I don't get it. It's okay. Uh, I'll give you another example. See, because a water molecule, it can't be all three of those at the same time. It can only be one. So that's where that illustration falls apart. But it's helpful. You might think of an egg. An egg has three parts to it too. One egg, three parts. The, the shell, the egg white, the yolk. Again, helpful. But where does that one fall apart? Well, the yolk is not the exact same essence as the egg white, nor is it the same essence as the shell all at the same time. Whereas the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all co-equally divine and fully divine and all eternal, all omniscient, all all powerful. Did your brain hurt yet? A little bit. 
But, but that's the Trinity and the Bible teaches that. And I would encourage you, you've got a, a handout with a ton of verses that maybe you could explore some of those things on your own. And if you have questions, reach out. I'd, I'd love, Pastor Dave would too, just to sit down and try to help, help you begin to understand that more. But let's keep going today. Uh, he's also, um, so he's a loving unity of three divine persons and he is creator of all things. You know, friends, creation and uh, everything around us, the universe itself is not an accident. It's not like this, this random thing that came to be, I'm telling you. It was created by God and he very deliberately and very intricately designed and created all things, including you. Scripture's clear that before you were born, he knew you. Before, not only before you were born, before you were conceived and woven together in your mother's womb, he, he knew you. God of the universe. He knew your personality. You were not a mistake. He has purpose and design and hope and love for you. And all of creation, he's the creator of all things. Uh, check it out, Genesis 1, where he talked about this, in the beginning, God, and he created the heavens and the earth. You know, even scientists who study these things, you know, will say, oh, I don't believe in a creator. I think it's a big bang, Okay. Well, let's go down that trail. Well, where'd all the stuff come from that blew up? I don't know, but it was there. It just spontaneously appeared? I guess so. How? I don't know. So you have faith in that having taken place, right? I guess I do. I think it takes a lot more faith to believe in that than to believe that when you look at the design and intricacy of all creation and even in the location of our earth and the cosmos, right? Like if we were a little bit further away from the sun, we'd freeze. If we were a little bit closer, we'd melt. And <laughs> that just happened? No, I think God deliberately created those things. And I think it takes a lot less faith to believe that based on the evidence than to believe just boom, there it is. He's a creator. It, it, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over all the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Colossians tells us the firstborn, Jesus was involved in creation as well. Uh, Psalm 33 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth, all their host, everything that's in them. God just spoke in his power and created it. Have you created anything just by speaking? Like the closest I can come to is water vapor on a cold day, <sighs> right? Somebody joked with me after the first service. They said, uh, anger, I can speak anger and make it appear. I said, oh, okay, I'll give you that one. But, but can you do that? I can't. Yet that's what God does. Let's go back to our passage in Isaiah because Isaiah talks about some of these things too. Look at verse 12. We'll pick it up where we left off. We finished in verse 11. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Now, when Isaiah says the waters, uh, do you know which waters he's talking about? All the waters of creation. Uh, take your hand for a moment, just go like this. How much water do you suppose you could fit in there? Quarter of a cup, third of a cup, half a cup? How big's your hand? Well, uh, Isaiah's like, um, God held like all the water in his hand. All of it like in this little part of his hand. 
And not only that, he starts to speak of his power. How about this? Who, who's marked off the heavens with a span? Do you know what a span is? You can take your hand, maybe go like this, from the tip of your pinky finger to the tip of your thumb. That's a span. And God's like, I can measure all of creation like that. Right? How about you? Do you see the point Isaiah's making? God is a lot bigger than maybe we give him credit for. And he is incredibly powerful and in control. Uh, how about this? Uh, who's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, like in a measuring cup? Or, or weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? And the obvious answer is no one, only God. Only he can do that. Only he can. He's the creator of all things. And, and who's measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel, you know, who's, who's measured the spirit of the Lord? If you were struggling to get your mind around the Trinity earlier, you're not alone. And even the prophet Isaiah says, who can totally understand and measure the spirit of the Lord and all his power and all his glory? The implication is no one can but him or, or what man shows him counsel? You know, God does this to Job when Job is having kind of a rough, rough time. And Job starts complaining to God about everything in his life. And what's God say? Hey, Job, uh, were you there? Were you there when I measured everything out? You know, and went from my pinky to my thumb and there was everything. When I held all the waters like that, when, when I created, were you there? And God almost, he gets a little sarcastic even with Job. Why, why don't you tell me about that time? Of course he wasn't there. Neither was I. And the implication is Job ends up saying, you're right, I, I'm talking about things I don't understand. And you're God and you're incredible and you're mighty. And that's, Isaiah's conveying those things to us today. This leads right into then talking about who, who is he? Who, who can give him counsel? That, that God is holy, our God is holy. Holy in its most basic sense is just a word that means set apart or distinct unique in its essence. God's holiness, his set-apartness is evident in, in so many ways. His, his sinlessness, his perfection, his omniscience, his knowing everything, that's omniscience, his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature, his eternality. It's all part of God's holiness. He's separate. And you know, you and I might say it like this, in English, you might say he's very holy, very holy. But in, uh, in the Old Testament, in, in Hebrew, they wouldn't have said that. They would have said he's, he's holy, holy. And if you really wanted to expound upon it, you'd tripled it up. Holy, holy, holy. I mean, that's like the trump card. Like that, there's nothing else you can add. Like, he is off the charts, separate and distinct from us in his holiness and his sinlessness, and his power, and his love. Keep going. He's holy. Uh, in Exodus, we read, who's like you, O Lord, among the gods, meaning lowercase g, the I I idols and false gods. Who's like you? No one is. Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. I, Isaiah says, uh, experiences his holiness as he sees Jesus on his throne in Isaiah 6. Uh, saw the cherubim flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Have you beheld God lately and just thought about his holiness? Isaiah 57, for thus says the one who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, speaking of God, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. That's an incredible contrast right there. That the God who is holy, 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 who dwells in unapproachable light, who is in, in, in the holy place, who is, who is so, so separate from us, who's he hang out with? The contrite and lowly. Like you and me who are so, so messed up because of our sin. He delights to be with us. Well, uh, let's look back at our passage in chapter 40, verse uh, 14. We read, uh, again, this is somewhere we mentioned uh, him talking to Job. Whom did he consult, Isaiah writes? I mean, who made God understand? I wonder who taught him justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Well, what's the answer? No one. No one did. God teaches us those things. He's the basis of all those things for our life. And when our lives aren't grounded in him for those things, life is chaos, isn't it? And each of us could probably tell stories to one degree or another where we've allowed that chaos in our lives because we haven't grounded our lives in him and trusted him. Friends, he's holy. Not only this, uh, let's keep going. He's infinitely perfect. If you notice the statement of faith is on your handout, I'm just kind of working my way through. He's infinitely perfect. I wonder if you can consider that or thought about that, God's infinite perfection. Um, in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth infinite. He's always existed. He's eternal. He did it perfectly. It leads us to the next part. He's eternally existing. Like God has no beginning and no end. He has always been. When Moses learned his personal name, what did God say his personal name was? A verb. <laughs> I be, I am. He's always existed. I, my six, just turned six-year-old son, Charlie, was in bed the other night and we're talking, you know, as he's falling asleep and, hey, dad, how old's God? How long has he been around? I said, well, forever. Yeah, but when did he start? Like, well, he didn't. He's just always been. When did you start? <laughs> how does that work? And I said, well, buddy, he's just, he's always been. That's why he's God. And in the moment, that was enough for him and he went to sleep. So I'm guessing we'll have deeper conversations about the Trinity and, and God's eternality and all that stuff at some point, Lord willing, down the road. But he's eternal. He just has always existed. And he's limitless in knowledge and his sovereign power. God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Let's dive back into Isaiah 40. Look at verse 15 now as we keep going. Isaiah says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. I'm not gonna have any more verses on the screen, so you can either just kind of listen or dig into your own copy of God's word. Uh, 
And this would have been encouraging to Israel. The nations are like a drop in a bucket. I mean, they were, they were being oppressed at this time. Uh, they, they would have felt like, the, no, the, the nations are like the biggest problem we've got right now. But Isaiah's like, yeah, but to God, drop in a bucket. Basically just an annoying dripping faucet. Not a big deal. Big deal to us? Absolutely. And does God care about that? Absolutely. But to him in his infinite power and limitless knowledge and power, it's just a drop in the bucket. Uh, he goes on in verse 15 and says, they're accounted as the dust on the scales. Just not a, not a big deal. Dust doesn't weigh much. doesn't really show up on the scale. Problems of life, because of God's sovereignty and power, they don't amount to much, eternally speaking. They matter and he cares about them, but he can care for them. They're a little thing to him. He, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Think of all the sands along the beach of the coast of every continent. It's like pulling out the Swiffer to God to pull all that up. Like dust. You get a sense just of his infinitude and of his limitless knowledge and power. Isaiah goes on, verse 16. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Lebanon bordered Israel to the north and was full of, of huge cedar trees and conifer trees. And if you wanted wood, and like Solomon did for the temple, he got it from Lebanon and uh, tons and tons of forest there. And in that day, and Isaiah's like, yeah, that, that wouldn't be enough to burn fuel to make a sacrifice to God. He's, he's that great. All the nations, verse 17, are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Uh, the problem for Israel was the nations. I wonder what's, what's some of the struggles you're facing today, this week, this month, this year? Listen, God cares deeply about them because he cares deeply about you. but I would encourage you ground your life in him because to him, that problem that seems so huge to you is less than nothing. He can carry that for you and he'll help and bring you through. That's not to say it's not gonna be hard, but he loves you and he'll bring you through. To whom then, Isaiah says, will you liken God? What likeness are you gonna compare him to? Basically is what he says, an idol? A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He, he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that won't move. Implying that, but your God is on the move. He does care. Why wouldn't you worship him? You know, idols can, we, we might think, I don't have an idol. I don't got a little tiki god on my desk, Right? You know, an idol is just anything that you elevate to the place of God that you worship more than God. Idols can be items, stuff I have. D, just think of an acronym. D, duties, like things I do. My, my idol might be my career or my job. Idols might be, oh, other people. Oh, if only they would like me. If only they would. And that becomes an idol that I worship more than God. It might be longings. Oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. It might be my own suffering even. I can find my identity in my suffering. And all those can be idols. 
God says, why don't you root your life in me? Verse 21, Isaiah goes on and he says, uh, do you not know, do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Haven't you understood from the foundations of the earth? It's he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It's he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. It's he, God, who, who brings princes to nothing and he makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. Isaiah's telling us how short life is and how uh, life is, uh, Isaiah, or James talks about this too, where it's just like a vapor, like a, like a dandelion and just, whew, there it goes. How quickly life goes by. But he, God, he doesn't faint or grow weary. Haven't you known, haven't you heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Friends, he's, he's limitless in knowledge and sovereign power. And finally, he's making all things new for his own glory. How many of you are like, I'm looking forward to that day when everything's new, including me, my body, the way I think, the way I react to people, the way I worship, all of it new everything new. Well, God is doing that and he longs to do that for you in your life as you trust him and will if you have trusted Christ. But notice, does it not because of anything good about me or about you, but because of everything good about him. It's for his own glory that he's chosen a people for himself. It's for his own glory that he's making all things new. And, and his love is incredible in that he shares that with us by making us new. Uh, think of this idea of being made new. I just read verse 28. I'll read to the end of verse 31 of the end of chapter 40 here and then we'll wrap up this morning. You'll recognize these verses. Isaiah writes, he goes, have you not heard, haven't you, have, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint, he doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths will faint and grow weary and young men will fall exhausted. But hey, hear this, because this is where we're headed and what I want you to be and for myself to be grounded in. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll, they'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, as, as uh, you head out this week, let me just encourage you from that list as we kind of march through our statement of faith, there, there's a lot of truth there, a lot of things you could think about and ponder and I encourage you to. But there's also a lot of truth there to live out. I would encourage you, why don't you just pick one of those things and read through those verses this week and consider what does it mean for my life this week or today that God is holy, that he's totally separate, yet that he still loves me? What does it mean that God is limitless in his, in his knowledge and in his sovereign power? What does that mean for me today? What does it mean that his, his arm is around me, loving me and holding me and, and tender to me? One thing that might help you toward that end, uh, we have these journals, Pastor Dave mentioned, as you leave, 
uh, just stay grounded on him. And uh, there's six weeks worth in here, five days a week. And uh, it's a devotional, but it's probably not your typical devotional. If you notice, uh, you're the one who's gonna be doing the writing. Because what it is, is you just write, the, the first line says today is, and you can write the date, you can write awesome, you can write cold, you can, I don't know, whatever you wanna write, today is, fill in the blank. And then the next thing you're gonna write is just one thing, I'm grateful for, cultivate that thankfulness toward God. And then it has just a, a passage for you to read. And then right after that, some verses from that passage, sometimes the whole passage, if it's shorter, for you to sit down, slow down, and write out in your own handwriting. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you do this, begin to ground yourself in God's word and in who he is, I really believe that as you slow down, he's gonna start to show you some things from his word that maybe you haven't seen before, impress some things upon your heart. And then at the end, you can jot down a few things that are on your mind and just one takeaway or word or thought for the day. And so you can do that with the verses here or you could do that uh, working through these truths about who, who God is that we looked at today. And do the exact same thing. But friends, ground yourself in God. He's a firm foundation. Let me pray.